This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by SaneBox. Get some sanity back in your inbox. Take control of your inbox. Get all that stuff out of there that is dragging you down. I'm going to give you a special offer later in the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Jeff Goins. He's an author, blogger, and speaker, founder of an organization called Tribe Writers, an online community for writers, and he is the author of a new book we're going to talk about today called Real Artists Don't Starve, Timeless Strategies for Thriving in the New Creative Age. So Jeff, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, John. Pleasure to be here. So I know you're in the Nashville area. Mm-hmm. I play a little guitar, and uh, so I know you do. Yeah. <laughs> the last time I was down there, uh, obviously I'm going to check out the music, and I'm always yeah. floored at these guys that I'm like, dude, I would pay so much money to see you play, <laughs> and he's got his guitar case open on a corner, you yeah, know, playing, I know. Playing, playing for tips. And I think that I think there's a, I mean, that's a little bit of what you get at here, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I'm surrounded by. Uh, creative geniuses in this incredible town, writers, even entrepreneurs and musicians. Uh, and uh, many of them have this starving artist mentality that regardless of how talented you are, there are just some things that uh, people aren't going to pay for. And uh, obviously, I believe that's not true. Well, and, you know, is it is it that bit, you know, are, are we waiting for that big break? Are we waiting for somebody to tell us we are good enough, or to just? I mean, because you also see people that have that record deal that they're not that talented. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. Um, you know, the whole idea of real artists don't starve is um, I wanted to debunk the myth of the starving artist. And I was talking to an old friend of mine. When I first moved to town, I uh, worked for this organization um, as a like, a like a telemarketer, calling people and selling them music subscriptions. And um, I met the, the CEO of that company. Um, and I just ran into him. And he goes, what are you doing? And I go, oh, I write books now. And he's like, what's your latest book? And I told him. And I said, it's about the myth of the starving artist. He's like, a myth? You're, you're, you mean to tell me that, you know, there's this, this guy that, you know, can't make a living traveling 200 dates a year? Like, that's a myth? Yeah. And I was like, well, you know, myths are stories. And uh, they may or may not be factually true, but myths are stories that we tell ourselves to help us make sense of the reality around us. And when we tell ourselves these stories long enough, uh, whether or not they're accurate, they become true to us, right? So growing up, believing the Santa Claus myth, uh, that was real to me. That was true to me. And uh, same thing with this myth of the starving artist. If uh, I tell myself, and this is something that we still say in our culture, that there's no money in art, that you can't make money as a musician or a writer or an artist, then uh, eventually I start believing it. And the things that we believe have a way of coming true in our lives. And I think the, th the same thing's true with the other side of the story, the story of what I call the thriving artist. If you believe that story, that can be true too. And so whether or not you starve as a creative uh, it's really your choice, and that's why we see people who are very, very talented starving uh, because they're neglecting uh, what it takes to thrive, which is you know you have to understand marketing, you have to be willing to um, 
get into the business side of your art. And it's also why we see people who are succeeding who may not be that talented but understand the mm-hmm. business aspects of uh, their, um, you know, their craft. Well, so uh, one of the real pressures I think that people who consider themselves artists fall under is this idea of what you talked about. Marketing and selling is, you know, is selling out. Uh huh. Yeah, ab- absolutely. How does that yeah. hold people back? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's a spectrum. Uh, I I actually believe in the word sellout. Some people don't, you know, that they think uh, that's just something that people. That's a word that people say about you when you start to succeed. Right. That's and the I, people that can't figure out how to make money. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I think obviously there's some truth to that, but. Um, I do think, you know, as somebody who really cares about good art, good music, good writing, um, I'm very aware of that. And I don't want to be a sellout. A sellout to me, John, is uh, – and I think it's very subjective. What it means for you to sell out is not what it means for me to sell out. And so I have no right calling you uh, a sellout and vice versa. What it means to sell out, my definition, is that um, you are making art which Lewis Hyde calls a gift, and I agree with that. Art is a gift that we give to the world, and I think we have a responsibility to make money off of that so that we can keep giving that gift. But the gift itself um, uh, is a gift. You know, it's not something that we're trying to necessarily, you know, hawk. And um, if at some point you start making things for the sole purpose of making a buck, and you begin to compromise. Uh, the values that first got you started in this. And I think you can do this in anything. I think you can do this in business, uh, marketing, art, um, uh, you know, creative writing, craft making, whatever. If you got into something because you loved it and you wanted to change people's lives with this, uh, and then at some point it gets flipped and you're doing this just to feed the beast, to make more money, uh, for me, that feels like selling out, and I'm very uh, uh, averse to that. I don't want to do that. Uh, on the other hand, I don't want to. I don't want to starve. So this is sort of the spectrum from starving to selling. I think in between those two extremes is what I call a thriving artist. And this is somebody who doesn't make art to make money, but they have disciplined themselves to make money so that they can make more art. So, so in some ways, I think would you agree that? who and what we call an artist or who and what we call art is probably broader than most people accept. I agree with that. I, I, Seth Godin talks about this in his book. I know he's a mutual friend of ours. Um, and the Icarus deception, you know, he says art, uh, and he talks about this in a few of his books, but, um, art is something that you create that changes someone or something. And I think, uh, at its, uh, purest essence, art is a creative gift that you share with the world. And so do you have to make art? Is everything art? No, not necessarily. Uh, but anything can be art in the sense that you can take a gift that you have and when you share it with the world and it impacts at least one other person, uh, I would call that art. And I think it is the thing that makes us human. It is the thing that um, connects us to each other is the ability to make things that in one way or another the world has never seen, at least like this, and it connects you to me and me to somebody else and so on. Yeah, and I would suggest there are a lot of business owners out there that have created an artful solution to solving someone's problem who would never yeah. consider themselves an artist. Absolutely. Yeah, I think anytime you're making something uh, that is building on what has come before, but you're iterating and you're innovating and you're and you're changing it in some way that has a greater impact on people's lives, 
Uh, absolutely. I think that's art. And I also think that a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs uh, ha- can have a starving artist mentality about mm-hmm. their work, which is just anytime you think your passion, this thing that you care about, this gift that you want to share – uh, like has no innate value that it's not something people are willing to pay for. And I see this, I see this with people who are going out of business or frustrated. They've got, they've got some great bakery or some big idea or an app and it just doesn't work. And, uh, they, they start telling themselves what this story, which is, well, nobody wanted this anyway, and it wasn't really worth anything. And I'll just go, I'll just go do something. That's a, that's a sure bet. And the point of the book is, Art actually, in spite of what we heard, is a pretty safe bet uh, as long as you do the things that real thriving artists have always done and you don't try to go it alone or pretend like the way the universe is set up in terms of what it takes to succeed in any craft, in any business. Like These are rules that you have to follow even in the arts. Tell me a little bit about Tribe Writers. Tribe Writers is this course that I've been teaching um, since 2012. And I kind of came upon it accidentally. Uh, you know, online courses are a big thing now, but back then, um, you know, there were some, but it was it was kind of a new thing. And um, that was the year that kind of changed everything for me. In 2011, uh, my wife and I decided to start a family. She got pregnant, and I was working a full time job at a nonprofit, and I was actually fundraising my salary at that uh, organization. And she was working with a record label here in Nashville. And we could not afford for her to stay home and be a mom for a while. And that's what she really wanted to do. And so I was trying to figure this out. And I'd started the blog at this point. I started um, uh, writing about my own journey as a writer. And it was just kind of this experiment. I was writing every day on it, just trying to share my ideas with the world. And it had grown to uh, tens of thousands of subscribers. And people kept talking about how to make money online. And I had never had any luck with this, but it was something that was interesting to me. And so I wrote an ebook called You Are a Writer. And at the end of the end, it was just my journey of how I started this blog, built an audience, and I'd actually just signed my first book deal, um, which wasn't a ton of money, but it, you know, obviously was a big deal, gave me a lot of confidence. And so I'd done some things that writers, you know, have, you know, want to do, build an audience, get published. And, um, and so then I wrote this other book. Uh, actually, while I was waiting for my first traditionally published book to come out, I wrote a second self-published book in between turning the manuscript in and it coming out because I needed to make some money. And I just self-published it. And it's called You Are a Writer, so start acting like one. And it was just my journey. It was this short little book, like 20,000 words. And I published it in 2012 and put like my email address at the back of the book. And 10,000 people bought that book. And started emailing me at the address asking questions. And I couldn't keep up with all the questions. And I would like tell people to go read my blog or I would answer the question or I'd send them to another resource. But people just kept asking me to show them how to do these things that I'd done. Start a blog, um, network with influencers, grow a personal brand, get published, etc. And so finally I was like, okay, like what people are describing is a course. I just need to create a course. And so I built the course uh, with my community, with my audience. I said, what do you want? Oh, we want to learn how to do this. Okay, I'm going to put this in the course. What do you want? We want to learn how to do this. And I built this course while still having a full-time job. Uh, at the end of each night, I'd put my son down for bed. I would sneak through his nursery. And I'd go into my uh, 
home office and I would whisper into the microphone these lesson plans. And I would do this every night from like 11 uh, at night to midnight. And it took months and I built this course and launched it. And um, in about a week, I, I made practically my salary for the year. And I thought that was like an anomaly. So, you know, I went through the course. I taught people the material. Eight weeks later, I launched it again. Same thing, made even more money. And by the end of the year, my wife had quit her job and I was getting ready to quit my job. And um, uh, I've been doing it ever since, writing books and teaching writers how to succeed. That's an awesome story. Thanks for sharing that. Um, one of the themes in the book, and I've actually heard this from other folks, this idea of, of being an artist doesn't mean that every word that comes from your mouth and every brush stroke is something original. Yeah, steal like an artist, that Austin Kleon thing. Um, love that. Uh, there's an old quote that I am particularly fond of by a guy named Will Durant, uh, who's a historian, and he says, nothing is new except arrangement. Mm -hmm. And so in the book, The Rule, and there's 12 rules in the book for how to not starve and, and how to be a thriving artist in whatever your vocation is. Um, uh, you know, The uh, idea here is that the rule is don't try to be original. So many creative people, particularly young ones, I think, are trying to be original. They're they're moving to a cabin in the woods to write a book. They're sitting in their basement trying to write a song. Um, you know, they're going someplace by themselves trying to come up with an original idea. And the irony here is all of their heroes, all of the world's most creative minds throughout history did the exact opposite of this. They stole from their influences. They borrowed the best ideas from their predecessors and then they rearranged them, they built on them and then they shared them with the world. And when I talk about this, people are like, you don't really mean steal. You mean, you know, like learn from. And I go, well, I don't know about that. You know, there's this story where uh, Steve Jobs calls Bill Gates and he's mad at him because uh, Windows had just come out. And, and Windows, as you may remember, John, looked a lot like the operating system for, uh, you know, the first uh, Macintosh. And uh, Steve Jobs was, was mad at Bill Gates. And he said, you stole from us. And Bill Gates said, what are you talking about? I stole from you. He goes, you stole from us. It, you know, Windows, it looks just like the Mac. And he goes, hang on a second, Steve. Um, the way I see it is we both had a rich neighbor named Xerox. And uh, when I broke in to steal his VCR, I saw that you had already stolen his television. And what he's referring to is, you know, back in the day, Xerox would let people come in and look at all their stuff. And Steve Jobs brought the entire Mac team in there and copied so many. They had them. They had basically invented the mouse and this graphic user right. interface, and they co-opted all that stuff. And and they stole from a bunch of other people and they rearranged it into something that looked original to them. But they were building on the work that had come before them, which is the only way we do great work. And, and I think it's Austin who's, who says this where you know if you steal from one person, you're a thief. You're a copycat. That's plagiarism. Don't do that. But when you steal from many people, now you're an artist. Let me ask you a question. How many emails do you have in your inbox right now? A hundred, a thousand, ten thousand? But you can't just delete them all. There has to be a way to take your inbox back over. If it's running your life, there was a point in my business where I felt like all I did was delete email. And then I found a tool called SaneBox. It really allows you to take back control of your inbox, of your email. Uh, it starts off by taking everything you've got in there today 
and figuring out what's important, what's not important, and creating folders and places for it to go that in some cases you'll never see again, but in other cases you can quickly check. Uh, there's also tools in there to remind you when you need to follow up on an email. Uh, it's actually incredibly accurate. And I have worked with the folks at SaneBox to get you a discount, my listeners. So if you visit SaneBox, that's S-A-N-E-B-O-X.com slash duct tape, you're going to find that you can get a $25 discount just because you are a listener of this show. Again, that's S-A-N-E-B-O-X, SaneBox.com slash duct tape. One of the other themes that I love Practice in public. I think there are a whole lot of people that, you know, think they have to practice behind closed doors and figure it all out and then come out to the world and say, here it is. And uh, boy, I, I, you know, from the very beginning, get go of my business, I said, I'm a speaker, I'm an author, I'm a consultant, and I'm going to go out and consult yeah. and I'm going to write and I'm going to speak and, uh, and maybe I'll actually become one of those things. I love that. Yeah. And, and I don't think you fake it till you make it, but I do think you believe it till you become it. And this journey takes faith of becoming an artist, uh, an entrepreneur, something that you are not yet but want to be. It takes a little bit of faith, and it also takes a lot of practice. And my friend Brian Harris calls this learning out loud. He said, don't wait to be the expert. You know, If you want to start a blog, build a business, um, you can do this honestly and, and basically share what you're learning as you're learning it. I remember the first time I was hired as a consultant by one of my friends, and he paid me $1,500 for an afternoon. And you know, I, I would, at the time, I was making like $12 an hour. So this was, this was quite a raise. And um, I sat down with him, and I said, what do you want to focus on? He goes, I want to focus on focusing. And I said, okay, we could do that. And he wanted help with his marketing, and I'd been a marketing director a nonprofit for about seven years. And so I'd, I'd read a lot of Seth Godin books. I was familiar with online marketing. And I started just kind of rattling off all these books I'd read going, well, you know, like per Purple Cow says this, Permission Marketing says this, and so-and-so says this, and uh, John Jan says this. Um, and uh, my friend stopped me. And I was like trying to get through all that stuff. I was like, you know all that stuff. So let me tell you some stuff you, that you probably don't know. And he said, hang on a second. I haven't read any of those books. I don't know any of that stuff. And I will gladly pay you $1,500 this afternoon for you to just sit here and tell me uh, what you've learned from other people's books. And you can distill dozens of hours of reading into an afternoon. That would, that would be worth my time because I'm not going to go read those books. And um, it's, I'm okay paying you to tell me other people's ideas. And that was like a big change for me, a big shift for me to realize I didn't have to be – an expert necessarily. I didn't have to be somebody that I wasn't. I could just share the things that I was learning. And I know you're a musician. Uh, I'm a musician too. And I remember when um, uh, like I got way better at playing guitar and I got way better at playing guitar um, when I stopped practicing by myself in my basement. Like I got pretty good. I learned how to chord. I could kind of play a few riffs. Uh, but whenever I uh, I didn't realize I was consciously doing this. Whenever I messed up playing guitar in my basement, I'd stop. I'd go back to the beginning of the song and start over again. And then I started playing with some friends. We started playing in a band, and 
uh, I realized like, first of all, I was learning from being around other people and I got, I started to get a little bit better doing that. But whenever we messed up, we'd still stop, go back to the beginning of the song. Then we started playing shows and I realized like if I messed up in the middle of the song, unless it was really bad, I couldn't go back and start over because people would notice. And with an audience there, maybe only two or three people sometimes, um, it put this pressure on me to bring my A game because now I wasn't rehearsing. Now I was performing and the best year of my life as a musician was the year that I toured with a band playing all around the country and we play five to seven sometimes ten shows a week and um all it was all practice like I, but I was playing in front of people and I got really really good because I had to be good and so if you want to be a writer start a blog practice in public if you want to be a musician you know like learn your chords get some basic knowledge but as soon as you can start booking shows that's going to accelerate your skill that much more you want to get paid to speak go start speaking this is the number one way that we get really really good at something we do it in a setting where it's going to be embarrassing to fail and so put yourself in those situations as quickly as you can not to embarrass yourself but so that you know what it feels like to actually actually bring your a game and the more you do that the better you're going to get and the fun part is people will see you getting better so you don't have to start out amazing i didn't start out as a consultant or as a writer uh or even as a speaker amazing uh but you know when i was performing people were watching me and over time people see your skill increase and uh they start rooting for you it's kind of a fun thing to bring an audience along in your journey um, I had a music teacher once, and I always remember this, and I apply this to a lot of things in life. And he said, it's okay to make a mistake when you're playing. Just make sure that you make it again when you come back around so That's that right. the audience won't know the difference. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I've, here's, here's the hardest question I'm going to ask you today, but it's one okay. that I think my audience will appreciate how you uh, answer. In what ways do you think small business owners need to be artists in their own right? I mean, I think the way that you need to not be an artist, first of all, is to not think your business is precious. And, and maybe this is um, counterintuitive, but I think this is true for any artist is um, when you look at the thing that you create as so precious, you know, you call it your baby or whatever, um, uh, you are doing yourself and the business a disservice because you're 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 not going to do the hard things that you need to do to help this thing survive. It's kind of like parenting, right? Like my kids are precious to me in the sense that I uh, love them and cherish them and don't want to hurt them. Uh, but like I also have to be tough and stern with them and discipline them because I want them to survive. I often uh, tell my son when he's misbehaving, he's five, when I'm disciplining him. Buddy, I'm doing this so that you understand life has consequences and that if you do this in a different setting, not around mom and dad, like you could get hurt uh, or things could not turn out well for you. And so, I mean, that's like the thing not to do, the, the thing to do, uh, why you should treat your business as um, as an art form and, and why you should think like an artist um, is, is because like I, I love the idea that art is about changing people and changing things and ultimately leaving a legacy. So uh, in the book, I tell the story of how I met Alan Bean, the fourth man to walk on the moon. And what's incredible about him is at 50 years old, he quits NASA to start painting uh, because he sees it as his duty um, to paint the moon because he's the only man who has ever 
walked on the moon who's who can paint it and so he starts painting the moon and he starts charging tens of thousands of dollars for these paintings because he has to not only do his duty you know perform his calling but he also has to make enough money that he can keep doing it and so there's this really interesting dichotomy on one hand i don't want you to think like a starving artist where this thing is precious i've seen so many small business owners go out of business because they think of their restaurant, they think of their consulting business, their agency, whatever it is, as this like perfectly precious thing and, and you're not willing to make hard decisions about it so that it can survive and even thrive. And then on the other hand, uh, I've seen folks um, like lose a lot of the arts in their business um, because they think they're bigger than they are. One of the things that I'm going through right now John is I was trying to scale my business, grow, 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 and then I realized I'm losing a lot of the personal side of this that that feels like art to me, and that feels um, important. Like I'm actually doing my duty, performing my calling, not just doing a job. And uh, I recently saw a friend uh, who runs um, basically an accounting and finance uh, business where, where she kind of like um, – like people outsource their finance department to her. She started taking on a bunch of clients and then – and she started like uh, like uh, losing the influence that she has over each client because um, she was trying to grow. And then you know she was like um, – she was delegating – uh, the work to um, some people that she hadn't fully vetted, and it and it basically blew up in her face. And I said, "Look, like not everybody has to be Walmart. Um, what you do in in providing boutique service to your clients is incredible. Like, don't lose that. And I think as a small business owner, like we're not Walmart. And so I think we should stop reading books about Amazon and Walmart and Apple. Those are great organizations. I love them. They're amazing." Like I'm a small business owner and there's something personal and beautiful and artful that I can bring to the service I provide my clients that those companies cannot. And that's my advantage and and I want to play to it and I, I hope others do the same. Yeah, I think the people that I've seen get past that are actually able to to do something or have a story so compelling that they can attract other artists. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the part, you know, you can't, you talked about your friend. You can't just, oh, you know accounting, okay, you know, here it is. I mean, they have to be attracted to whatever it is that is artistic about what you're doing. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, it's not to say that you can't grow, but you have to grow the right way. Right. And and you have to um, maintain your values uh, along the way. And, you know, uh, Walmart, like one of their values or goals or whatever is to basically be the cheapest. There's nothing wrong with that. Like that provides a lot of value to people. Um, but if that's not your goal, you know, if you're not racing to the bottom, as it were, and you're providing something specific for someone specific, which is what most small businesses do, um, then fight for that. Uh, in the book, I talk about having the right kind of stubbornness. Um, and I quote Jeff Bezos. Um, and he said, he says, I love this. He says, we're stubborn on vision, but flexible on details, yeah. right? So have the stubbornness of an artist to achieve your vision but but don't be precious about the details be flexible with them do whatever it takes because part of being an entrepreneur is looking for opportunities recognizing them and seizing them and if we get too precious about 
um, this thing that we thought we were going to create and the market takes a dip, uh, you know, there's, there's some obstacle and we can't pivot around that. Well, now we're sunk. And there's a very real part of me as a business owner that knows part of what I'm doing is whatever it takes to just live to do this another day. Yeah. <laughs> Amen to that. Jeff, where can people find more about you and obviously tribe writers and real artists don't starve and anything else you want to share? Yeah, thanks. Uh, it's an honor. I love your work and honored to be here. Um, you can find me at goinswriter.com, G-O-I-N-S, like coins, but with a G, goinswriter.com. You can find out more about the book and all all that other stuff uh, on my blog and sign up for the newsletter, and you'll get weekly updates on writing and creativity and fun stuff like that. All right. Awesome. Thanks for stopping by, Jeff, and uh, hopefully uh, next time I'm down in Nashville, we can bump into each other. Jam. We can jam, John. Yeah. Come over to my house. You know, I got uh, – just to bore the heck out of my listeners here, I, I, I finally got a looping uh, to, uh, pedal, and so oh, cool! I, I, now I don't need a band anymore. I know. Yeah, you play mostly acoustic. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, are you a Martin guy, Taylor um, guy? Actually, I bought a, a, a Guild D thirty five about thirty like years Gild. ago. Yeah, yeah John yeah. Den- John Denver played it, so that's why yep. I wanted it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. Awesome. We'll have to jam. Thank you. you bet. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. I wonder if you could do me a favor. Could you leave an honest review on iTunes? Your ratings and reviews really help, and I promise I read each and every one. Thanks.